0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to another Lights, Camera, Sports Podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. So happy to have you on board for another podcast. We're cruising right now in the summer. We have August right on the horizon, and with that, the fall season is is as well. We got college football coming up, so I thought it'd be great. You may know him from ESPN, his days, Brad Edwards, analyst, BCS, college football. He was laser focused on that for many, many years, as well as working uh, the NFL draft to ESPN and some college World Series on the research side. Uh, so now Brad though is writing his own book, Dynasty by the Numbers here, and uh, is a focus on Alabama football and how dominant they've been for now many 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 years. So with that, I welcome Brad Edwards to the podcast. Brad, thank you so much for your time and joining us here on the Lights Camera Sports Podcast.
1: Oh, you got it, Mike. It's a pleasure to be with you, and uh, always fun to, to talk some college football. Um, this has been an unusual off season for me. I've spent the last twenty 25- five college football seasons working for ESPN and uh, this will be the first time since I was right out of college that I've gone into a football season um, not being at ESPN and not preparing to, to do a, a you know a college football season for them. And so it's been different. Uh, like you said, I've been focused on that book, uh, but I'm looking forward to kind of going through a season from a different perspective and, and to some degree, you know uh, as more of a fan than I've ever been able to enjoy it before.
0: Yeah, no question about it. What? So, as we first of all, let's let's get right into it too. Uh, The breaking news this week: uh, we got Oklahoma, Texas going to the SEC now official. I guess what? Just from first question for me is your general thoughts on this move, and who who are the winners and losers?
1: Yeah, so when it first happened, I was as surprised as most people, and my first thought was, "This can't be." true not not so much that it couldn't be true that texas and oklahoma would be interested or that the sec would be interested but i just figured there was something in the bylaws or maybe something that would be done by one of the state legislatures that would you know that would prevent this from actually coming to be and you know a few days go by and i'm i'm you know reading all the reports and it it became pretty evident that this this was legit and that this was really close to happening and obviously you know we're at that point now where um, it's pretty much a done deal and uh, wow it really changes the landscape of of college football you remember you know nine or ten years ago there was a lot of movement with realignment there were there were a lot of teams that shuffled around uh, but it, it there really wasn't a team that moved that you would say was a Uh, a landscape changer. You know, there were some significant ones um, that, that moved, but, but not any, not any one that was like, wow, that really, you know, changes this conference or that conference, um, you know, very, very significantly. And, and obviously that's what we have here. I mean, these are the two best programs, uh, hands down in the big 12. So not only is this strengthening what was already the strongest conference in college football, um, but, but it, Significantly weakening one of the Power Five, and you've got to wonder: is there any way that the Big Twelve could survive this? I mean, they, they, there seems to be no way that they could, you know, keep the eight teams that are remaining uh, without doing anything and keep that status as a so-called Power Conference. So something is going to happen with that group. I think they're going to have to find someone to merge with or partner with, and you know, we'll see what that ultimately means. I mean, obviously, the, the talk that. Uh, we had a, a month or so ago about the expansion of the college football playoff uh, is, is predicated on there being you know six automatic bids for conference champions, and so you know it, it kind of does matter you know that, that you have a, a conference and what the reputation of that conference is because that could ultimately you know dictate whether you get into a playoff. But the way it was laid out then, and and that part is not a done deal. But the way it was laid out then. Is that no conference would just get in automatically um, if champion would, so or, or, or I should say wouldn't, um, and and so that therefore I, I don't know that you know that it, it matters that they keep the name Big Twelve except for the fact that by keeping the conference together you you legally uh, maintain a structure where Oklahoma and Texas are going to be required to pay a lot of money. Um, if they uh, if, if they want to move to the SEC, and especially if they want to move a little bit early, and so uh, that's a that's a big thing. But so just kind of to, to follow up on what you were asking, that everyone wants to know about the dominoes, like what what happens next. And to me, look, there's going to be some movement because, like I said, something's got to happen with those other eight in the Big Twelve, and there there might be some league. Certainly, the American is going to look to strengthen itself through all this, but. I, I really don't see opportunities for, for other great change, especially within the power conferences, because I, I look at the rest of them outside of the ACC, which has the, the grant of rights you know, that, that was established with the ACC network and a you know, new deal with ESPN uh, a few years ago. Um, no one in that conference is in a position to move. So they're really, they're really two teams outside of the Big Ten. I mean, no one in the Big Ten is leaving that league. Okay, so there are only two teams outside of the SEC, what's now the SEC, the ACC, and the Big Ten that I see having tremendous value, and those are Notre Dame and USC. If Notre Dame goes anywhere, and I don't think they have a need to, you would think it would be to the ACC. Obviously, they did it last season. Uh, their other sports are in that league, so that would make sense. But I don't, I don't, I don't feel like that's impending. And then USC, where, where would they go? Why, how would it make sense to them uh, unless there were a bunch of other Western schools that came with them? And I don't see that happening either. So as far as any other seismic changes, I'm not anticipating anything. I know a lot of people you know, think that, that this is the first step toward these 16-team Super Leagues. 16 teams only make sense if you're adding teams that are creating more value per team for everyone in the league. Um, it's not about creating value overall, but it's that each team's share that they get at the end of the, of the school year is going to go up. Everyone profits, And And like I said, there are only two teams that can give you that. It, it's Notre Dame and USC, and I really don't think either one of those teams is going anywhere.
0: And then, well, I, as you're speaking, I kind of was thinking about certain teams, so I guess my question is what do the teams say? Let me give you a team name and just tell me where you think they're going to be in the next couple of years. Oh, West Virginia. Where are they going then? Because they're, they're a brand name, Big 12, East Coast. What's, what's your take on West Virginia?
1: Yeah, I, You know, and, and there have been a lot of things written about West Virginia to the ACC. It makes sense for West Virginia. I mean, West Virginia should want that. Does it make sense for the ACC? Like I said, how much value are they adding um, and is it going to be enough that each team that's already in the league is going to make more in the future by having West Virginia in there? And, and if you add West Virginia, do you need a second team in order to, to keep an even number? Um, now, if, if you could add Notre Dame and West Virginia, yeah. you would do it You know, because it gives you that even number. And because of Notre Dame, not because of West Virginia, you're, you're adding that value. Um, but I don't think West Virginia by itself um, is, is going to move the needle. So maybe you know, maybe West Virginia ends up uh, with the American. I mean certainly when you look at the geographic footprint of that conference, which really is all over the place, um, West Virginia would seem to be a better fit there than they would be um, in you know what has been the big 12 up to this point. But, but if you look at where the other big 12 schools are located, the American would make more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, if it if it makes just as much sense for West Virginia financially, and I think that's the question. So I mean, if if you you know if you if you made me, um, you know, make a prediction on where West Virginia would be, I would say that whether the conference is called that or not, I would think that they would be in a league with you know a bunch of teams that are now in the American Athletic Conference.
0: And then the other one that's kind of sticking out to a lot of fans is Kansas University of Kansas, obviously a big hoop school, football not so much. Um, what do you think, Kansas? Where, where, where what's their future?
1: I, I really have no idea because you know, like I said, nine, ten years ago, when this previous you know batch of realignment occurred, and you know teams are bounced around all over the place, there was a moment where it looked like Texas and Oklahoma were going to go to the Pac-12, and at that point, we were asking these same questions: What happens with the rest of, of the Big Twelve teams? And for all of of you know Kansas and what they present from a basketball standpoint, there didn't seem to be anyone interested in bringing them in. And I mean, it, what it goes to show you is football how much yeah. value is on football relative to every other sport. Now, obviously, there's a lot of money in college basketball, but that's all tied up in the NCAA tournament. And you know, I, I think you know, I think we saw from uh, from. UConn uh for for all those years yes you you don't have to be in a a major football league in order to make a lot of money And there's still obviously there's still other programs that are that are doing that today I mean Villanova is one Gonzaga is one so I mean you can still be a great basketball program and generate uh, a lot of revenue that way without being in a league that is uh, known for its football and that might be the path that Kansas ends up taking. I mean, I know they don't want to end up in the Missouri Valley, you know, <laughs> with, with some of the teams that are, are you know, closer to them geographically. Um, but I mean, who's going to want Kansas football? I mean, look, there, there have been some bad teams in college football over the last decade. I mean, you, you were talking about the, the book I've written on Alabama, and the, the book is basically on how, uh, how great Alabama football has been from 2008 to present. Over that exact same span, Kansas football has been almost equally bad.
0: Yeah, they're the opposite.
1: I mean, and and, and so they would be at the bottom of the list of, of you know programs that uh, or schools that teams would be interested in from a football perspective. Or I should say conferences would be interested in from a football perspective. Certainly, basketball helps, but basketball doesn't mean so much that um, people would be lining up to get Kansas in their league.
0: And then, what do you think of these rumors and about ESPN getting involved? What, do you think they care about Texas, Oklahoma, and the SEC, or uh, and you know Mike Aresco, the American Athletic Conference? Do you think they were talking to each other? And you know, I know uh, ESPN is taking over that CBS contract in a couple of years. That three thirty game one prime game. Uh, what's your what's your whole take on all this? I I don't know what to read into it myself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I want to make clear. I don't still talk to people at ESPN. I have no inside information. But to me, it it seems common sense that they would be talking. I mean, no one makes a move this big without consulting their TV partners. And, you know, I'm sure there were plenty of people at Oklahoma and Texas that would have picked up the phone and called ESPN and um, wanted to know, hey, what would this do for us if we wanted to make a move, just from a financial standpoint? You know, you've got – you know, because, because Fox and ESPN kind of share the big 12 right now. And, you know, they would have to find out, okay, if we were to make this move, what would that do for revenues? How would it affect, you know, what we would make down the road, you know, moving to a a league where ESPN would have everything, you know, in a a few years and that CBS deal runs out. And and so it just, it, it, it seems just nonsensical that there wouldn't have been conversations going on. I know the, the essence of this is around this idea of tampering, you know, kind of huddling up with other leagues and saying, okay, you, you know, if if you get these teams and that's going to make your league stronger and um, we would like that from a TV standpoint, of course they would.
0: Yeah. I I thought they always did that to be honest with you. (laughs) I
1: mean, that's the, that's the thing. Now, look, if, is there a uh, is there a concern from a relationship standpoint if ESPN's having these all, all these conversations with these other leagues about you know how to how to dismantle the big 12 and at no point was there ever a conversation between ESPN and the big 12 commissioner about you know also what could be done to stabilize the league I, I don't know I mean that hasn't been offered but it, it it's hard for me to believe that at no point, did ESPN have conversations with the Big 12 office either? So, uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I look. I know this. If I were the Big 12 commissioner, and the the league is basically falling apart under my watch, you know, if I've lost my my two biggest dogs, um, it would basically without even know it was happening right under my nose, um, I mean that's that's embarrassing. PR standpoint, you gotta try to do something, say something, point the finger somewhere. Yeah, and so I mean that's what he's doing. Um, At the end of the day, I'm just I'm just not sure that there's anything. Now, look, if there's some legal grounds, you know, for uh, for him to take some action, then I'm sure he'll go for it. But um, otherwise, like I just I just don't know what's all that surprising about the idea that ESPN would have been talking to various schools and conferences about what's going on that affects their contract. I mean, at the end of the day, it affects their contracts and their ability to make money. So, of course, they're going to be interested.
0: And then how, just to kind of put a bow tie on this, how happy is Mike Oresko, the American? I mean, they, they might be able to swoop in here and kind of maybe truly be that, you know, that Power Five member, or now Six. <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, and that's what he's always referred to his conference as, is the you know, the Sixth yeah. member. I don't know that he ever called them the Sixth, but he refers to it as the Power Six, Power the six, league yeah. included. And, you know, I mean, look, some of those some of those are good brands, obviously. I mean, you're talking about schools that have... Uh,
0: the, the national champion in basketball, Baylor.
1: Well, absolutely. You got Baylor, you know, right there. And, and you know, Baylor has been uh, pretty good in, in football in recent years as well. Uh, obviously, you know, TCU has too. Oklahoma State has been uh, you know, pretty much a staple in the top 25 in football for most of the time Mike Gundy's been there. Um, so, so there clearly are some really good programs i mean iowa state uh, i'm not sure how much longer they can stay there but uh, historically they haven't been that good but at the moment i mean it looks like they're gonna be preseason top 10 so it's it's not like it's not like there's nothing there it's just from the name brand standpoint you don't have anything close to oklahoma and texas and so you know if you could get some of those schools if you're the american bring them in or you know i I don't i don't know uh, how else they would Frame it. I guess the, the one the one thing to couch this with, though, is that if the playoff goes into effect the way that it was discussed, you know, in recent months, and, and it may completely get blown up now after this, uh, but if it were to have that format where, you know, there there x number of conference champions that get in, but nobody gets in automatically. Then, you know, on one hand, it's like, okay, I mean, really what does it matter as far as how much you strengthen your league because you're not getting an automatic bid, but at the same time, it does matter because if your league has good enough teams, I mean if you're very clearly one of the four best leagues, then it's it's very, very unlikely that your conference champion is not going to get one of those six bids that's given to a conference champion. Um I mean the only way that doesn't happen and this this really applies to any league out there is if you have a you know a a weak team come out of one division if you have one division's a lot stronger than the other and then there's a major upset in the conference championship game you know then your conference champion is probably not going to get in um but but that could even happen in the s e c in some years so uh so yeah i mean i think I think uh has got to be Pretty happy about this development. It certainly gives him a chance to strengthen his league.
0: Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amage Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. and let's go now right to the SEC. I, I mean, what's their perspective? Say, an Alabama fan, uh, what what they have these? They're happy the conference gets strengthened, I would imagine. But now you kind of got a deal of Texas and Oklahoma. You don't fear anyone if you're Alabama, but no. Uh, Which what's, no. uh, what's your just Alabama general take? Care,
1: but the others should, you know, like like for Alabama, they they've. Yeah, I mean they they've beaten all comers for the last however many years. They're not really worried about anyone else being added to their schedule. And in fact, all it does it really increases the likelihood that if they have one of those seasons like they did, you know, just 2 years ago, 2019 when LSU ended up being great, LSU beat Alabama. Alabama ended up uh, you know, two got hurt after that and Alabama ended up losing a second game. They finished 10 and 2, you know, didn't win the SEC West. Well, under this this new format, it would seem like inconceivable that they wouldn't get in as one of the large teams. So where Alabama's program is at the moment, they're, they're pretty much a lock to be in that 12-team playoff every year, so they don't care about this. But if I'm LSU, I care because geographically they're really close to the state of Texas, and yes. they've had a lot of success recruiting in Texas, especially in the Houston area. And that's one advantage that they've had that, you know, A and M shares is that you can tell these kids from Texas, hey, you can play in in the SEC and obviously Texas and Oklahoma, which are the other two schools that, that you know, get a lot of the best players out of Texas, um, they haven't had that SEC card to play. But now they do. So I would think that would affect like it's gonna affect the ability of everyone else in the SEC or everyone else in the country really, to go into Texas and pull out some of the very best players. Um, But I I think it disproportionately hurts A&M the most. And then second, I would say LSU. So I'm not really sure why uh, LSU would be all in favor of it. And I would think if you're a number of other teams in that league, you know, it's going to to decrease your chance of being able to have a great season because you're probably, you know, in a given year, going to have at least one more game, if not two more games, against teams you're unlikely to beat. So, um you know, I mean, look, everyone would say it's all about the money. Yeah. I mean, at, at what point do you, do you have enough money? And it's like, you know what, I'd rather have a chance to succeed on the field than to get a few more million dollars. But but here's the reality of it. I, I, I think, you know, what we saw is the result of a, of a confluence of events where you had, like, first of all, I think it was, it was COVID, where every athletic department in the country last year – lost so much money because of not being able to build stadiums uh, with the fans. Obviously, they had spent a lot of money on testing and all the things that went around that. And this is all money they're not going to get back. And just you know, having a normal 2021 doesn't make up that gap. I mean, it's going to take years to recover from what all these athletic departments lost last school year. Uh, but, But on top of that, you've got the name, image, and likeness stuff that just come into play. And while I don't know that it'll have a great effect on the most popular sports on on campus, you know, you've got certain people who have, you know, in the past, and maybe maybe businesses, that have given a lot of money to the athletic departments at these schools that might reassess and say, you know what, I think I'd rather invest that money in – this athlete as a spokesperson for my business, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna pour it directly into players instead of pouring it into, you School. know, supporting the tennis team or whatever it may be. Um, and and so, you know, in an either a direct or indirect way, a lot of these athletic departments are going to not get as much money as they did before from boosters and donors because of name, image, and likeness. And I think when you put those two things together, it's like, hey. We got to produce more money somehow, and I, I think that is um, that's a reason for both this idea of expanding the playoff not just to eight but to twelve to get even more money. And it's also a you know impetus for for Oklahoma and Texas to be saying, hey, let's 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 make this move to the SEC so we can you know make enough to be able to kind of get back on our feet after all these things just happen.
0: Okay, so I, as you speak, I got two questions about money then. Right now, uh, Brad, the SEC schools' average payout before Oklahoma and Texas um, was about forty-five million from the conference, approximately. How so? Money-wise, how much more money per school do you think they'll get if you had to guess, if, with the additions of Oklahoma and Texas? I I don't know. I mean, it really it really depends on when the new contracts go into effect. I mean, that's yeah. Because because what they got last
1: year is not reflective of the new deal that you know will. You know that, uh, well, I don't know. We're two, three years away um, that will go into effect uh, with with ESPN. Yeah,
0: 2025. Uh, yep.
1: Yeah, taking over. So that was already going to raise it. Um, I don't know. I'm guessing 15 million more, something like that. So I mean, that's what they, that yeah,
0: yeah. That's just just to a give...
1: increase something like that. I mean, it's it's a significant amount of money.
0: Yeah, that's that, and that's per year. Fans need to realize too. That's hey, per right, year. right, right.
1: So I guess I guess you're probably looking at 60 million per team, if, if not more than that. I mean, what is the Big Ten? The Big Ten, I think, is already in the fifths per team. Yep. So, yeah, um, yeah and, and look, and I, I have no idea um, if there's any sort of renegotiation that goes on because of them adding these teams. Um, and, and if that if, if that comes into play, if all of a sudden there there is that renegotiation, then it's like, well, and so here's the thing. Is not only does this help ESPN, but uh, on the surface, anyway, it hurts Fox because Fox has the, you know, the, the deal with the Big Ten and the Big 12 where they had that, you know, that what they were focusing on was their noon game. And they always had a lot of great opportunities with the Big Ten in that noon Eastern window. Um, but then when it wasn't Big Ten, they would almost always have an Oklahoma or Texas game. Yes. Usually Oklahoma. Um, and, and now that you're losing Oklahoma and Texas, I mean the contract they have with that league is I mean I don't want to say worthless but I mean as far as you know high profile games you're not really going to get any
0: yeah no, no. So,
1: um, yeah yeah I mean so so it, so it really does uh, shake up a lot of things from the TV perspective as well
0: just my speculation my guess I'm thinking we might in the SEC we might hit 75 million per school per year after when everything's it would said and me. done
1: it would, like I said if there's if there's a renegotiation of ESPN's deal with the SEC because of the addition uh, and I haven't been reading up closely enough. I'm sure that's been mentioned in a number of things already. Yes. But, yeah. But yeah. If, if that's the case, then, then yeah, it's going to go higher.
0: And then name, image, and likeness. What, I like to, Brad, I'd like to get your take. Do you think it's a good idea for college football? Do you think it's a, a slippery slope? What's your whole oh, take
1: on that? Wh- whether it's good for college football or college athletics, I, I think is kind of irrelevant, which is that just as, as far as what's right in America – it, it had to be done. I mean, it, you know, you think about – or can you think of any other example in this country where someone who was highly marketable would be told you are not allowed to capitalize on how popular you are from a financial standpoint? You are not allowed to, to make money off of yourself.
0: Correct. Yep. We, we see it I can't th-
1: think of anything. And, and so obviously there are a lot of these kids – I say a lot. I'm thinking of it from an Alabama perspective, but – with other schools, it's not a lot. Um, but even in Alabama, where there are a lot of players who will you know, go on and play in the NFL and will have the opportunity to make tens of millions of dollars, um, there's still some even there. And certainly at many other campuses across the country, there are plenty of, of, of kids. That this is the most popular and the most marketable they will ever be in their lifetime, is when they're a star of a team. You know, between the ages of 18 and 22, and this is their chance to you know strike while the iron is hot, and and um, the fact that they've been denied that for all these years is just wrong. Like I understand that you know the powers that be were protecting their own interest, and they were allowed to do that, and that's why it was the way it was. Um, but um, I, I I think it's just it's it's right by the standards of America and capitalism is is what it's right by, and so that's why I think it had to happen, and now the schools will have to adjust. Could it create some issues? For sure. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that there will be uh, some very talented players in a number of sports that will go, they'll start getting so wrapped up in their brand and the and the money they're making that they lose a little focus on the training and the, uh, the on the field effort. And they end up not being what they could have been. I'm not saying that would be a majority of them, but certainly that's going to happen to some kids and, um, you know, and, and they might end up making much less in the long run because they ended up not cashing in at the professional level. And and that's where, you know, you, you need good people around all these kids. And I think most of the schools are trying to provide that uh, in order to to counsel them, to educate them and help them understand, here's what you're capable of making. Okay, not only to be responsible with what you are making at that particular age, but don't don't sacrifice the long term for the short term. You, you still got to keep in mind the long term, which is that for some of them, you know, there's a bigger pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and you don't need to be, um, you know, obsessing over twenty thousand dollars when you're twenty years old if you could have ten million coming when you're twenty one. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, that. I think that's the biggest thing is uh, is that, and then, and then maybe even within the locker room, if you've got one guy on the team who is just making so much more than everyone else will there be resentment i don't know for sure that there will be i think it's possible and i think that's something that uh, a lot of coaches are concerned about right now but uh there's nothing they can do other than just you know take it on as the next challenge because it's not going away
0: last couple of minutes here with brad edwards and you know i'm predominantly a northeast podcast what have you I'd like just to give your thoughts on boston college and we haven't really talked too much about them in the acc and Jeff Halfley coming a year two, Brad, six and five in his first year, five and five in conference play. Kind of kind of a weird year to transition. Yeah. But just your general take on Boston College and their trek. I know fans up here are pretty excited because recruiting has gone up in rivals, the ranking overall. So a lot of positive vibes out of Chestnut Hill so far.
1: Yeah, I, look, I, I think when Hafley was hired, that was the reason, is, is his ability as a recruiter. And uh, they, they definitely have to upgrade the talent um, if they're going to be consistently good. Now, what is the expectation at BC? I don't know. I'm not close enough to the program. Um, I, I know that there have, have been a few years here and there where they have uh, have been you know, really good and kind of poked their head into the top ten. I don't think that's what people expect every year. Uh, But I think if you look at the landscape of the ACC right now, you know you see a league that, okay, you've got Clemson, and BC has no way of getting to Clemson's level. That's not going to happen. I think everybody knows that. You've got two other teams in the ACC, and as far as I'm concerned, there are only two others that, that, from a recruiting standpoint, BC shouldn't be able to touch. Now, in recent years, you know, these programs have been down, and B.C. has beaten them on the field. And I'm talking about Miami and Florida State. Yes. But if yep. Miami and Florida State are doing the right things, they should always be recruiting at a higher level than B.C. can attain. But at the moment, there's there's a little uncertainty there in both of those programs. And so I, I think given that, and look, the rest of the league, the rest of the league, I don't think, look, North Carolina at the moment is doing very well with Mac Brown on the recruiting front. Um, but that's not going to be North Carolina year in and year out. Whenever the next coach comes in and all that, so, so, I just I don't think there are all that many schools in the conference that are guaranteed to have significantly better talent than BC if Jeff Hafley is you know doing the job that they believe he can do and that he's already starting to make some progress on and So that's where it begins. Is that you, You've got to at least get your talent level to where it's close enough to everyone else that you've got a chance to win. Um, but what really gives you a better chance to win is quarterback. And, and we're at a place in college football right now where offense has, has just taken off, and the very best teams are so dynamic on offense that if you don't have a great quarterback and don't have an explosive offense because of it, You've got no chance against those teams, um, but it's really a separating factor when you put in two teams that you know against each other that are that are pretty similar in talent. If one's a lot better at QB, then that gives them the edge. And I, you know, I'm just off the top of my head. I, I don't. You know, I've never followed BC that closely, but I'm thinking about the best teams that I remember BC having. You know, I, I th- obviously Matt Ryan. Um, you know, I think about uh,
0: Hasselbeck's
1: Glenn Foley. You have Hasselbeck, Glenn Foley, and then obviously Doug Flutie. Yep. Um, when they have had a a really good quarterback, they have been successful. And I, I think that the the premium on that position is greater than it's ever been just because of what you know teams are doing offensively right now. And so that's the big thing. Can Halfley get that quarterback? And look, he, he's not going to beat out. I mean, unfortunately, you know, today because of – social media and all the, the interconnectivity that we have across the country and across the world, the best programs are no longer going to miss a great quarterback who is already there, you know, uh, who doesn't need a whole lot more development. Um, that, that if there's a guy in the Northeast, Ohio State is going to see him. Penn State, Penn State obviously probably wouldn't have missed that guy in the in previous years. Yes. But but even the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Florida schools, the California school, everyone's gonna know about that guy these days. Um, but but what he can do is find that guy who is maybe a four star quarterback who lives somewhere in the northeast, not necessarily New England. It could be, you know, New York, Jersey, Pennsylvania. And, you know, he's he's got a lot of potential, but he's not quite at that level where the national title contenders are zoned in on him. Um, you know, you can beat UVA for a guy like that, or uh, Pitt, or you know, whatever. And and if and if if he can do that and get that quarterback, get that offense going, good sign. I mean, last year, you know, look, as, as much fun as BC was to watch at times in previous years when they were running the ball really well. That's not where you win in football these days. You win by being able to throw, and they certainly. You could see a shift offensively last year, putting the ball in the air more often, and so Mm -hmm. I I think uh,
0: Phil Jakovic, the Notre Dame transfer, yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah. and and that's and that's where that's where it starts. It's being more aggressive offensively and being willing. Uh, and wanting to put the ball in the air more often because that's where the game is today.
0: And you look at Drakovic who's going to be the QB this year. You know, he transferred out of Notre Dame, so that's maybe another path you can get. He was another,
1: especially with the transfer portal. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be that diamond in the rock you find out of high school. It could be a guy who, you know, ends up second on the depth chart because he's behind someone really good. Yeah, and you've got a connection, and you, you're able to land him. That absolutely is part of recruiting these days.
0: So this should be interesting. First couple games, get you know, got some temples of the world, the Holy Crosses. So BC fans are hoping for, I I would guess uh, seven eight wins this year. That would be the goal. Look,
1: well, you know the thing about BC, and I think what I'm about to say is true for more than half the teams in the ACC, is that you're going to look at the non conference schedule, and I don't I don't know BC's schedule off the top of my head, but I'm guessing there are probably at least two games there. That you're going to say those should be wins.
0: Yeah, but they play, really they play 20 Missouri. 20 Missouri's the SEC. And then you're,
1: probably, you're probably going to have one or two games where you're thinking, you know what, um, we we could win that game, but it could go either way, right? Yeah. And then yeah. and then you're going to have in conference. Unfortunately, they're in the same division as Clemson. <laughs> yep, which is almost certainly a loss. Um, but then, as I mentioned, you know you got Florida State, which is has been beatable for the last few years. Uh, I don't know who they catch in the crossover games, but it really doesn't matter because you go through the – I mean, outside of Clemson, for B.C., everyone in the ACC, that game is – it could go either way. I mean, there's some where they'll be favored, some where they'll be an underdog, but but if you're looking at it realistically, every single one of those conference games outside of Clemson, they could win, they could lose. And so I, I would bet you, if I looked at B.C.'s schedule right now, I would probably say, hey, you know what? They could go nine and three. They could go three and nine, and neither one would surprise me. Uh, but once again, I think it just comes back to the offense and the quarterback. How good are they? And then obviously, can you avoid, you know, having either too many injuries or one or two injuries at in the wrong position?
0: I think the big takeaway outside of Clemson, the ACC is wide open. You're right. A- anyone yeah. can emerge from that. Um, all right, Brad, last couple minutes here. Just want to once again promote the dynasty by the numbers, Alabama football from, you said, 2007 till now? Is that the focus?
1: 2008. It 2008. even arrived in 2007. Yeah. But 2008 was kind of the breakthrough year where they, they it's number one in, uh, in the AP poll for uh, five weeks late in that season. They ended up losing a really tough game in the SEC championship to Florida, which ended up going on to win the national title. But then the following year, they got their revenge on Tebow in Florida, won the SEC championship, won the national championship, and then they just steamrolled from there. So the, the book is is about basically two things, I mean, it, it, and they're connected to each other. One is how much Alabama has dominated college football over those last 12 to 13 years. And so not just that they've been the best team, I and mean, anybody... Even neutral people watching would acknowledge that you know, Bama clearly has been the best team over the entirety of that span, but it's by how much they have been better than everyone else. And then the second thing is that if you were to look at the best runs that teams have had in college football history, um, there are some programs that have had a really good five, six, seven years that you might be put up against the best five, six, seven years that Alabama's had under Saban. But when you start getting into a, a span of 10, 11, 12, 13 years, and it's not just the wins and the championships, but you start looking at other things like the, the recruiting, the, um, the All-Americans and the individual awards, the NFL draft picks, all of the things, I mean, not, not to mention some of the, the things they've accomplished on the field offensively and defensively as far as the numbers they put up. There is no stretch this good. That long in the history of college football. I mean, I know you could you could go back in like the late 1800s and find a stretch where you know where Yale was putting up some unbelievable records year after year, but there weren't that many teams playing back then, and it was a a sport with completely different rules. And you know, there was there were there was no NFL. There's just all this stuff that was different. And so that's my claim: is that that this is the best. Run of double-digit years that we've ever seen in the history of the sport. And I don't think a whole lot of people would debate that either, but that's really the focus of the book. And um, it, it's numbers-driven. There are a lot of uh, a lot of graphs and charts in there that really make these points well. And uh, if you, uh, I know your audience is not uh, Alabama fans, but anybody listening, if you if you know an Alabama fan, um, it's a it's a great gift. Uh, and so uh, I would. Encourage you to check it out. the uh, The website is going to launch uh, sometime uh, in the next few days. It's BamaDynastyBook.com. BamaDynastyBook.com. And uh, so, so anyway, if anyone in your audience is interested in checking that out, uh, if, you, if you happen to be a big fan of the history of college football, you might enjoy the book too. Even if you don't love Alabama, but certainly. If you know an Alabama fan, I think they would love it.
0: And Everyone loves reading about excellence, whether, you know, the Patriots, the Celtics, the Lakers, whatever it may be, whatever sport. I think there's always a demand to learn about that.
1: I'll put this in there because I mentioned this in the preface to the book, which is the type of book this is. It's very numbers-driven. And I made the comment that in the, in the history of sports, a book like this could not have been written until the last 15 years because there are a lot of advanced stats and analytics uh, in addition to some more conventional stats but until the last 15 years really all anyone had was just your basic box score stats to go off of to try to make a point there's such a wealth of information available now that we didn't have more than 15 years ago that I say it couldn't have been written um, until this span but within that span in order for the book to be written and to be interesting to a fan base the team had to be good enough, consistently enough, over that whole span of time for you to compile the numbers to show the excellence, to make it interesting. And what I what I say in the preface is that in mainstream American sports, there are only two teams that have been good enough in this era to have a book like this written about them. And that is Alabama football and the New England Patriots. That's That's it no one else has been able to sustain greatness for that long to compile these types of numbers. And even even then, just because of the nature of the NFL, really professional sports, but because of the way the NFL is structured, there's so much parity in that league that the Patriots, as good as they've been, they, they haven't been able to dominate the regular season the way that Alabama has, You know, where you're basically losing no more than one game every year. Like it just, that doesn't happen in the NFL. So... So Alabama stuff is even on another level from the Patriots, even though, you know, given what you're up against in the NFL, you could argue the Patriots run is more impressive. But, um, but from a pure number standpoint, um, Alabama just blows you away a little bit more. But they're, they're, it's not just the Belichick saban ties. There are a lot of things that, that you know, kind of hook back uh, into each other between Alabama and the Patriots.
0: Well, it's dynasty by the numbers, Brad Edwards. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. and It was good. We kind of went all around the country talking college football. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.
1: Yeah, a lot of fun for me, too. I, I enjoyed doing it, and it's been a while. So I appreciate it, Mike. Take care.
0: Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including... State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.